This is a Seven West Media podcast. Welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me. Fellow citizens, during large scale public processions over the past two Sundays, the protests in Hong Kong seem to have started because the government wanted to get a murderer in court. But the discontent in this former British colony has been brewing for much longer. Some would say decades. So what is going on and where is this all headed? I asked the editor-in-chief and founder of Hong Kong Free Press, Tom Grundy, and high-profile pro-democracy activist Joshua Wong. All right, well, Tom, first of all, thank you for joining me. I know you must be incredibly busy at the moment, so I do really appreciate it. Um, But firstly, can you just describe what Hong Kong has been like these past few weeks? What's it been like actually on the ground during the protests? Yeah, so I I feel just the last three weeks have been a microcosm of the pro-democracy fight in Hong Kong over the last 30 years. In in 1989, there was a huge reaction, massive protests over the the massacre in Beijing. And uh, since then, um, almost, you know, each year, certainly since 2003, Uh, We've seen massive pro-democracy rallies, very peaceful sort of cookie-cutter style protests that that go from one point to another, very law-abiding, you know, all with the police permission. And and this went on for years, people uh, rallying for universal suffrage, one person, one vote. As as for what was, you know, promised to them when uh, the city was handed over from the British uh, to China in 1997. And that basically escalated into those umbrella movement uh, pro-democracy demonstrations we saw in 2014 when there was a much more forthright um, attempt at civil disobedience. Hi, Joshua, is that you? Yes. Joshua Wong is a high-profile pro-democracy activist in Hong Kong. As a teenager, he played a central role in the Umbrella Movement protests in 2014, which saw him arrested and eventually jailed. Since his recent release, he's been speaking in favour of the protesters. When Beijing and Hong Kong government introduced the new extradition bill that might extradite Hong Kong ordinary citizens to China face unfair trial, we confront and have strike urged government to withdraw the evil bill. That's the reason for two million people joined the fight last month. As we've gone into the, the last few weeks now, we, we've seen uh, a lot fiercer sort of clashes and uh, wildcat civil disobedience with no leaders. very organically sort of uh, last-minute organisation uh, with no one seemingly in charge and yet still very organised. And, and eventually, as we saw on July 1st, the anniversary of the handover, people breaking into the parliament after hours of ramming windows around the perimeter and um, for a few hours occupying the main legislative chamber. And um, as you might imagine, the, the government and, and a lot of Hong Kongers, to be fair, are quite aghast at you know, how these have, scenes have escalated. And yet, um, a lot of the Democrats here quite 
you know, mainstream, uh, I think, figures, uh, have some sympathy as to what has happened with, with those more uh, um, violent scenes, I guess, because uh, it is felt that everything else has been tried. Um, from 1989 up until now, and just in the last three weeks where we saw peaceful one million man marches, two million man marches according to organizers, um, escalating into road occupations, uh, and then into this storming of the legislature. So, um, so yeah, that, that's why I sort of feel this last three weeks have, have sort of been representative of a fight that's been going on a lot longer. Um, if you've been in jail three times, the most recent time you were only released, I think, was it June 17? When I was in jail, um, without a call, it's hard to know the time. It's hard for me to describe what kind of food I really ate, or it's still possible to describe it as the food. But I would say that the press can't defeat me. It would just make me even stronger with passionate and concrete determination. Was it worth it? I have no regret at all. Compared to the pride faced by... Uh, the activists storm into the legislative council, storm into the parliament of Hong Kong that might face 10 years jail term. I have just been jailed for around 100 days. It's just a small piece of cake. Just to paint the big picture, can we sort of dig into history a little and give people the wider context? Can you really briefly go back to the 1800s when Hong Kong became a British colony? How did that happen and why was it handed back to China in 1997? Yeah, it's a pretty bizarre story that harks back to um, the British Empire, um, whereby um, Britain was, was, was very interested in tea uh, that, that it was um, buying from the Chinese, uh, generally with silver. And uh, as their silver reserves were depleted, um, they, 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 they tried to, um, to enact a different uh, uh, sort of trade system, which basically escalated into the, the opium wars. And, um, and one of the concessions of, um, I'm, I'm having to skip over a lot of history here, um, was, was Hong Kong Island. And, um, and the new territories just above it, you know, uh, on the peninsula, uh, that was uh, handed over some years later for, for um, 99 years. Now that lease expired in 1997 and there was no use the British trying to hold uh, just part of the territory. So in 1984, uh, the Sino Joint Declaration was signed between the two sides where it was agreed the entire of, of Hong Kong territory uh, would be handed back to China. Um, and of course in 1997 the colonial flag was, was um, uh, was taken down at all the government buildings and there was a dignified ceremony whereby Hong Kong's system, its rule of law, its freedoms, its civil liberties that it enjoyed under the British were going to be preserved for another 50 years under one country, two systems. So there was a big countdown to that date and now we're on another big countdown to 2047, always seemingly in limbo, always in this sort of identity crisis. Uh, and I think it's true to say in those years since the 1997 handover, rather than being rather hands-off, um, certainly since the 2014 Umbrella Movement, um, China has been a lot more hands-on in terms of uh, emphasising more of the one country rather than the two systems. Since 2014, that crackdown has somewhat escalated. We have seen lawmakers ousted from the legislature, democratically elected uh, uh, um, uh, legislators. Uh, we've seen a political party banned. We've seen, um, we've seen people prevented from even standing for election. And those activists um, 
who were behind some of the umbrella movement protests jailed. And just briefly, for, for people who don't know, what, what were those 2014 protests about? Well, they originally um, escalated after Beijing handed down its plan for universal suffrage in Hong Kong for one person, one vote. Um, but it wasn't quite what people were expecting. They, they expected that they'd be able to have a free choice of leaders, uh, whereby Beijing said, you can have you know one person, one vote, but you must choose between candidates we approve. And Democrats at the time were saying, well, you're just giving us a choice of a rotten apple, a rotten banana and a rotten orange. Um, so there was a student boycott that escalated into a 79-day um, street occupation. But really, if you went down to the streets on that first couple of days, a lot of the anger was because of the release of tear gas by the police. was quite similar when we saw a two million man march, almost a third of the population of Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago, when it was really the police action which has really fed into these protests in recent weeks that really annoyed people and got them onto the streets yet again. Uh, Hong Kong is it's a pretty safe and peaceful city most of the time. And, to, and for people to see tear gas and rubber bullets and beanbag rounds being fired at young people, it was felt it was very disproportional. So um, we've seen some echoes of the early days of the Umbrella Movement, but I think activists have realised their methods back then didn't work, and that's why we're seeing more wildcat civil disobedience and certainly some more frontline and perhaps violent scenes uh, uh, in the city. To help people who don't quite um, understand how the Hong Kong system works. Can you just briefly break down to us how much input the Chinese government does have in Hong Kong in terms of, I believe there are 70 seats, but only 40 are decided by popular vote. How does that work? And is that what sort of protesters were fighting for back in the umbrella movement, 70 seats, and that you know people would vote for 70 people? Well, the umbrella movement protests were more about the chief executive election. Um, the leader here is called the chief executive, which should give you um, some hint as to how this city is, is the capital of capitalism and run on business. And, and that election has, has, has never been, even in colonial times, democratic. And uh, that's what's causing such frustration over these decades in Hong Kong. As for the legislature, uh, the local parliament, it's true to say that um, almost half of it um, is not directly elected by the people. In fact, um, the, this is how you know corporatist and dystopian it is. We have corporate votes in Hong Kong, special interest groups. So if you're in the accountancy uh, sector or the agriculture and fisheries sector or textiles, some of these industries barely exist anymore, I might add, um, then you get a vote um, as your industry. And of those industrial and special interest groups, they tend to vote conservatively on the pro-Beijing side for the establishment, um, falling in line with, with what Beijing and the local government wants. And so people don't feel there is proper representation. And the opposition in Hong Kong, and this is what led, I think, to some of the legislature basically being smashed up a few days ago. Some of the Democrats in Hong Kong, um, their voice has been minimized, um, particularly over the last few years, whereby the little power that they had, because they cannot bring legislation themselves, only the government can, um, that has led to um, 
I think this escalation we've seen this week where if you, as we did, go into the, the parliament now and see some of the graffiti scrawled around, the fact that people have ripped up uh, the mini constitution, the basic law and, and um, you know, spray painted some of the symbols and smashed up the portraits of some of the legislative speakers, uh, you can see that people are really taking aim over what, towards what they now feel is a rubber stamp um, in regards to uh, the business of lawmaking in Hong Kong. Could you hear, did you know what was happening while you were in jail? I knew two out of seven millions of population joined the rally to show the power of people, but the Hong Kong government still ignore our voice. I would say that under the hardline suppression of President Xi, Hong Kong people never keep silent and we hope Australia government can take a more stronger approach, actively support Hong Kong people with the universal value, just like freedom and democracy. I mean, is China well within its rights to do what it is doing now? It says that um, Hong Kong is its, is, is its business and no one else can interfere. It considers even comments about Hong Kong to be interference, even comments from Britain for whom you know, the joint declaration was just that, a joint treaty lodged, you know, internationally at the UN um, to agree that Hong Kong's autonomy and its freedoms would be preserved. And we stand four square behind that agreement. That agreement the Chinese simply don't reference anymore. Well, they need to because it was an agreement that lasted 50 years. It was a very inspired agreement. It allowed the transfer of Hong Kong back to China. The United Kingdom wants to ensure that what was agreed to back in 1984 is honoured for those 50 years. But you have no means of enforcing it. Well, we are a serious country in the world and if that agreement between the United Kingdom and China was not honoured, then there would be serious consequences, of course there would be. Although the world is watching and it is an important financial centre, you know, if, if when, when China, you know, does interfere in Hong Kong's affairs in ways that it's not meant to, um, you rarely see the kind of uh, criticism and intervention that you might hope for from uh, foreign countries because China is a rising superpower and everyone's got their business interests, you know, with Beijing. Um, so it's been very difficult, you know, for uh, the opposition and Democrats in Hong Kong to rally international support. And that's why you see them raising millions of dollars, posting ads in newspapers across the world during the G20, trying to rally leaders across the world to lobby Beijing to um, keep its hands off uh, its autonomous city. Um, but I think as far as they're concerned, as Hong Kong's, you know, um, relevance has waned and, and how China's economy has long overtaken um, Hong Kong's, they're beginning to see it, I think, as a troublesome periphery uh, which needs to be reined in. Yeah, right. I mean, everyone's talking about, you know, the US and China trade war, but this war of words, how big do you think it could get between the UK and China? Or do you think because of the UK's position and sort of, I guess, their vulnerability with all the unknowns around Brexit, that they'll just pull back? I, I think when the fire cover has, has uh, settled down in terms of the chorus of criticism we've been seeing from every imaginable sector, um, things might, you know, settle back into place. But this is an issue, the, uh, the extradition law, 
um, which is easy to forget now, was what sparked all of the recent protests. Yeah, let's go into that. Can you tell us about that? It all started with a murder. What happened? Yeah, I mean, we barely talk about that now, but there was a murder involving a Hong Konger who admitted that he murdered his uh, girlfriend in Taiwan. Um, we know about you know Taiwan's status when it comes to China. It's uh, it, they considered it a, re- a renegade province, but but Taiwan is a, a democratic island um, that has all the trappings of a, of a full independent country. Um, so Hong Kong's relationship with Taiwan is kind of awkward um, because Hong Kong is meant to be part of China, and we don't want to upset Beijing as the authorities here. Um, so if it did want to, you know, form an extradition agreement with um, uh, Taiwan in order to send this Hong Konger to face justice back in uh, Taipei, um, they would need uh, to have uh, extradition uh, law uh, whereby the legislature would be bypassed and the courts and and Chief Executive Carrie Lam herself uh, would be able to decide upon sending people to Taiwan and the mainland. And that is what has really worried Hong Kongers because as much as Hong Kong has a um, you know, a, a British style uh, legal system with all the human rights protections that, and rule of law that you might expect, China very much doesn't. It really matters to Hong Kong and international communities because if the bill is passed, any ordinary Hong Kong citizen and foreigners visit Hong Kong might be extradited to China. And we hope people recognize the uniqueness of Hong Kong and the international communities to stand on our side. A lot of Hong Kongers became very concerned and sectors who don't normally speak out including even judges, including the legal sector and journalists, were speaking out. Some who usually remain silent, and many young people, felt the need to express their opinions. I understand these feelings. Uh, And these escalated into peaceful protests, and up until this week, um, uh, the the smashing of the legislature, as we saw. Um, This bill has been suspended um, by the local government, but they cannot seem to say the word retract, and that is why the the protests have been continuing. But they cannot seem to say that it's permanently retracted, and I think that is probably because that would be be admitting defeat, there would be a lot of face loss involved in that, and they'd basically be saying, hey, protest works. And that's not really how it works in Hong Kong and China. We cannot um, have, you know, people believing that these kinds of mass uprisings can um, uh, can be effective. might continue and when Hong Kong government arrested 50 activists, including one of the students at the age of 14 years old. How can we imagine 14 years old kids have been arrested by Beijing and Hong Kong government due to the involvement in the protest? It shows how Hong Kong government just have the crackdown on human rights and massive protests might happen soon and massive arrest is also the plan of Beijing. 
I mean, you started protesting as a teenager and now obviously at 22 you've been to jail three times but you're still fighting um, the pro-democracy fight. Did you think this would be your life? Um, it's hard for everyone to ensure their personal safety. But compared to the price faced by Chinese dissidents, we will continue our fight. Hong Kong is our home. It is only by working together as one community and by staying closely connected that we can bring hope for Hong Kong. Thank you very much. That is your news fix for this week. Every week, we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. Please subscribe if you have a moment and send us your feedback to podcasts at seven.com.au. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton and the director of news and public affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening.